a smile upon my face Cause there's excitement in the chase This I know have been experiencing um, what I've said over the past couple of weeks, just basically two years of stress, two years of high alert, two years of adrenaline. Um, Just this last week, I was on Facebook because sometimes I fall into that hole. And so this last week I was on Facebook and I was making a comment to someone where I was being absolutely friendly and this other person was also being absolutely friendly. They posted something that I didn't agree with. And so I was writing a comment back to them where I was saying, listen, I've learned some things about this particular issue and I'm opening myself up to you if you want to talk about it. That's all I said. I didn't give any information. I didn't give any content, anything. I just said, I'm opening myself up to you to have a conversation with this about you. And then when I was done with that particular comment, with that particular invitation to that other person, I realized my heart was like racing. I mean, like thumpity thumping. And it's just, we are all in this high alert world. And I'm certain that you've experienced this with me. I think we all just want a little bit of relief. We all just want a little bit of, you know, space where we can, we can get the stress away from us. Um, so today, uh, this afternoon, I'm going to be participating in a forum, a panel discussion about the problems of racism that are still in our county. Now, it's odd for me to be part of something like that because I've never been a part of anything like that before. Uh, I've never been in a context with this color of skin where someone has invited me to, have, uh, to share my opinions on the problem of racism. And I've been on a massive journey in the last couple of years trying to learn more about something that I previously denied was even a problem. And so today, we're going to have this forum going on. And this last week, I, I posted to Facebook that I was, going to be as a, I was going to be a participant in this forum, this panel discussion. And uh, if you're interested in joining us, I put the information on the back side of the note sheet that never got printed. And so as a result, uh, you don't know, but it's going to be at 4 o'clock this afternoon at Trinity United Methodist Church downtown. But, so I posted to Facebook this event that I was going to be part of that's this panel discussion about the problem of racism in our, in our community. And it's associated with uh, something else that's going on in the community. Uh, the half an hour before that at 3.30, there's going to be a celebration of the, the most recent restoration of the George Floyd mural going on downtown. It's been defaced multiple times, and it just recently was restored once again. And so the, a collection of pastors in town, primarily African Americans, in a group called the Pastors Alliance, has come together to say, we want to use this as an opportunity to talk about racism in our community. So... Um, so they invited me to be part of that. I'm actually one of the members of the Pastors Alliance. And so they invited me to be a part of that. I'm going to be participating in the discussion part that happens at 4, even though there's this other thing, this 3.30 kind of celebration event thing that's happening outside on the lawn of Trinity United Methodist Church before that. And I'm also going to be present with that too, but I'm not doing anything in it. But anyway, 
So I posted the information about that event this week on my Facebook page and invited people in my life to come and participate in it because I think it's an area where I'm growing and I'm interested in sharing some of that with other people. But what happened was in, on that same day, it very quickly erupted into a very tiny, although meaningful, argument. Like it wasn't like a whole long chain of comments where there were 30 people all arguing with each other. There were just a couple little comments that people were arguing with each other about. And it was all cordial. It was all nice. I thought everybody who posted a comment had done it in a way that was pretty nice. But at the same time, just reading through the comments gets the blood going. And it, and it, gets, it raises up that, that thing in me. And and it's, it's, let's just go down the Facebook rabbit trail a little bit farther because over the past couple of weeks, I don't know if you've been paying attention to it, but the Wall Street Journal has been announcing that they got some internal documents from Facebook outlining some of Facebook's strategies for the algorithm that gives you your stuff in your newsfeed. Now, maybe you guys have never been on Facebook, and if that's true for you, then praise God for your uh, reluctance because... You are, you are among the cream of the crop these days. All the rest of us have been terribly tainted. But, um, but what's happened is that these documents have come out demonstrating that Facebook's algorithm intentionally, and I'm telling you intentionally, not because the algorithm has a brain, but because the people who program the algorithm have brains, it intentionally highlights things in your feed. It gives you things in your feed that will make you mad. Because they know if you see something in your feed that you like you're going to click like and keep scrolling. If, they see something in, if you see something in your feed that makes you happy, you're going to be, aw, and then you're going to keep scrolling. But if you see something that makes you mad, especially if it comes from a friend, if you see something that makes you mad, you're going to jump all over that thing. You're going to comment on that thing. You're going to be all in it. And that is called, by Facebook's own metrics, engagement. And so they are intentionally putting things in your feed that will make you mad because that gets you more engaged with the Facebook platform, which makes you more likely to see the Facebook ads and gets them more money. The whole point is that they are leveraging this particular truth to try to get more money. And you're like, well, we should blame Facebook. And I'm like, yeah, but the algorithm is just playing off of something that is already true in each one of us. It's called antagonism. Every single one of us is wired with antagonism built into our hearts. It's this attitude that says, the whole world is against me, therefore I must be against the world. It's the attitude that says, you cannot win unless I lose, and I cannot win unless you lose, and one of us has got to lose, and it ain't going to be me. Antagonism says that if you hold an opinion or a position that is against my opinion, out of my sense of threat, I am going to attack, because that's the way we're wired. Antagonism is the problem. Like, I'm going to be talking today, this afternoon, about racism, but right now in this forum, I'm not going to talk about racism because there's a bigger problem we're facing called antagonism. The question is, why do people feel the need, or let's be more personal, why do I feel the need to go after you, to attack you, to fight you, what is it inside each one of us on the deep end of our hearts 
that leads us to be people who are so antagonistic. Over the past couple of weeks, I've used the same basic picture for you to talk about the power struggle that we're having that we want some relief from. We want to re-enter the world, we want to re-enter normal life, and we want relief from the stress as we do it. But we're aware of this power struggle that we're facing, and I've given it to you in three different layers over the past couple of weeks. The much outward layer, the most outward layer, is a power struggle, me against other people. And I've just kind of been outlining that right now, just the way we view Facebook, social media, or even our personal interactions. We've got this power struggle with other people. There's this other power struggle inside that, though, that's me against the other versions of me. Because, see, every time I encounter something that you do that I don't like, I have a choice of which version of me I'm going to be. Am I going to be the version of me that attacks you? Am I going to be the version of me that ignores you? Am I going to be the version of me that cuts you out from my life? There are multiple different versions of me that I'm still struggling with which one I want to be. And so before I even can deal with the power struggle between me and you, I have to deal with the power struggle between me and me. But then inside that, we talked about this mostly last week, there's a power struggle of me versus God. Because I'm not in control of the fact that COVID is here in our midst. I'm not in control of the fact that racism has been a part of our country for a long time. I'm not in control of the color of my skin. I'm not in control of so many things. The only one that I can even possibly relate to who's responsible for any of those things would be God, the creator of the universe. And so there's this struggle that I have between me and God of whether or not I'm going to fight him or whether I'm going to allow him. And last week I gave you some, what I thought were some really encouraging, but also very challenging things that you needed to do to get your life squared away with God. They boil down to three basic things. We need to admit that we're powerless. God has all the power and we don't. We need to admit that we're powerless. Like the song we sang, I'm not enough unless you come. That's number two. After we admit that we're powerless, we need to accept God's power. Which means we actually say, God, I want no more of my power. I I want you. I want what you have done for me to enter into my life. I need your forgiveness. I need your strength. I need your encouragement. I need your promise of eternal life. I need your Holy Spirit to be at work in me. And we've said we need to admit our own powerlessness. We need to call out to God and accept his power in our lives. And then thirdly, we need to allow We need to let God do his thing. Sometimes the thing that he does is going to be in the world around us. Sometimes the thing he does is going to be in me. But I need to give God the space and the time to do what he's going to do. So that's a review from last week. But today, I want to tell you what God wants to do in you. You see, our power struggle with other people Before we can deal with that, we have to talk about the power struggle we have with the various versions of ourselves. And I'm here to tell you today that God has the best version for you in mind. Once you get your life squared away with God, He is going to do something in this level of your life to give you the best version of yourself. And the best version of yourself is characterized by love. What God wants to do in our lives is to transform us into the best possible version of ourselves, and the best possible version of me is a person characterized by love. 
Today we're going to talk about that, but we're going to begin with this passage of Scripture that we've sort of used as our key passage for this series. It's in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. I'll put it up here on the screen again. It says, Paul is praying for the people in the city of Ephesus. He says, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We talked about that last week. We want God's power to come into our lives. We need His Spirit to be at work in our lives. But keep reading. He says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints, with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Do you see how many times he uses the word love there? He says, you're going to be rooted and established in love. That's where we start. Paul prays that once you've got the the Spirit of God in you, once you've got the power of God working in you, then you are rooted and established in love. Then, being rooted and established in love, you can begin to understand Christ's love, how big it is, and together with all of God's people in the past and in the present, here in this room and in other rooms, all of God's holy people, together with all of them, you can understand God's love. God wants us to be people characterized by love. And so today, I'm going to try to give you some guidelines, some tips, some encouragement, four things that are required of a person who wants to be a person of love. Four things that you need to do in order to become a person of love. And as we go through each one of these four things, I'm also going to give you a mindset, a frame of mind, a thing that you can be thinking that will help you live out that being a person of love in the world around you. Because I'm convinced if we can get settled with what kind of person, which version of me I'm going to be, then the way I answer the struggle with the world is going to change entirely. But it begins with us trying to become the people that God is moving us into being. And that is people characterized by love. Our first guidance comes from Jesus himself. This is a passage of scripture we've covered many, many times around here, and for good reason, because it is one of the most important things Jesus ever said, because Jesus said it was one of the most important things Jesus ever said. So let's take a look at it. It's in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus replies to the crowd of people who have asked him, what's the most important thing? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You see, on the one hand, Jesus is giving us a command. But on the other hand, what he's doing is giving us guidance. He's giving us sort of an understanding of what it takes for us to be people of love. Now, first of all, In order to be a person of love, you have to have a loving relationship with God. And we talked a lot about that last week. So today, we're going to talk about the love that I need to have towards other people. But we're not yet at the other people level. We're still talking about us. The antagonism in the world is not caused by the other people around you. It's in you. The feelings that you have against other people aren't caused by those other people. They're in you. 
All of our problems with other people begin with us. And so Jesus gives us something incredibly important with how to start on the journey of love. Did you notice it? He said, love your neighbor as yourself. It's a very interesting phrase there. I'm going to reframe it as a, a principle for you and me to follow, a truth that I think we need to follow in order to become people of love. It goes like this. View other people the same way you view yourself. Now, I want to explain this a little bit. Because as I initially say those words, you might get the idea that I'm supposed to judge other people according to the same standards that I have. And that's not what I'm talking about. In a sense it is, but in a sense it's not. I'll get to that in just a little bit. You might be thinking that I'm supposed to view other people as if they're exactly the same as me and that their differences don't matter. I'm not saying that either. I'm saying I want you to view other people the same way you view yourself. Let me explain. When you look at yourself in the mirror, you don't look at yourself and say all the things that are wrong with you without also noticing a few of the things that are right about you. And in fact, even though we are very judgmental about ourselves, we do it in a very interesting way. Now, I know there's some times when you're in that place where you're really super critical about yourself. Some of us are more prone to being critical about ourselves than other people. But in general, when we are critical about ourselves, we are critical about the things that we still minimize. You see, when we're evaluating ourselves, it always comes in the context of our own intentions. Oh, I really messed up that, but at least my heart was in the right place. I really made a mistake with that relationship, but at least, you know, I, my intention was good. I completely said the wrong thing. It was an offensive thing to say, but my heart was right when I said it. Uh, people should give me the benefit of the doubt. I, I made that mistake, but I'll do better next time. We always give ourselves the easy forgiveness. We always give ourselves the criticism that understands that doesn't identify us, that doesn't define us. I might have made a mistake, but I'm really a good person. I might have done a bad thing, but I'm really a good person. And we view ourselves from the lens of intention, benefit of the doubt, uh, optimism and hope, all those sorts of things. But when it comes to other people, we judge them. However, when we judge other people, we tend to intensify the things about them that are wrong, the things about them that bother us, the things about them that hurt us. We don't minimize. We don't give them the benefit of the doubt. We don't view them through the lens of optimism and hope. We don't say, hey, they're really a good person. They just really did something that ended up hurting me. We don't even say, they said those words and I got offended. They, we say, they offended me. We give all of the responsibility for the thing on them as a character, as an individual, and we view ourselves as a good person who does bad things. We view them as bad people, and we do it all the time. And if you doubt me on this, all you have to do is open up your Facebook page and start scrolling through what people say about other people, and you will see the thing that I have been talking about. For whatever reason... When we judge ourselves, we always have grace. And when we judge others, we rarely do. 
Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. That means every ounce of forgiveness you would ever give to yourself, you give it as easily to someone else. That means every intention that you would say, my heart is right, and so therefore, even though the thing I did was wrong, I shouldn't really be blamed as a bad person. When you say that about yourself, you should also say that about other people. I should view the other people through the same lens that I view myself. I got to admit to you, I'm just as tempted as anyone else to ridicule people. When someone says something really stupid, I want them to know how stupid they are. I really do. When there's a person out there who believes some ludicrous thing, I want them to feel shame. I want them to feel so ashamed that they believe that thing that if they still believe it, they will at least never admit it. I want the people in my life to be hurt when they hurt someone else with their words. I'm just like the rest of you. I'm just as antagonistic and retaliatory, and I really want people to feel the weight of their own sin. But I don't want to be one of those people who is constantly feeling the weight of my sin. Here's here's the interesting thing. The more I think about it, the more I have to admit that if I had walked the exact same path as that other person, I would more likely than not have exactly the same wrong idea that they have. And I would more likely than not be just as confident, if not more confident, in that wrong idea than they are. See, the truth of the matter is, that if I had learned all the things they learned and experienced all the things they experienced and I had read all the things that they read and Facebook had given me the exact same feed that Facebook gave them, if all of those things were the same, I might actually be the same. It is only by the grace of God that I was raised in the family that I was raised in. It's only by the grace of God that I had the educational experiences that I had. It is only by the grace of God that I had the unique genetic makeup that gives me the, the whatever mental capacities that I have. It is only by the grace of God that I have the unique spiritual makeup that gives me whatever understanding I have. It is only by the grace of God that all of the things in my life have been brought into my life so that that I would come to the conclusions that I have come to, that I would see the truths that I can see, and that I would be able to see through the falsehoods that other people can't see through. It is only by the grace of God that I am the person that I am. I have to admit that I'm actually no different than anyone else. And getting that thought in my mind, getting that thought in your mind, is the thing that helps us begin to take the steps towards treating someone else as ourselves, towards loving someone else as ourselves. We have to first come to grips with the fact that I am not special, I am just a recipient of God's grace. 
And the other person has received a different layer, a different amount, a different category of grace. And sometimes the grace has led me to truth while I still have these other piles of errors. And sometimes the grace has led them to some truth that needs to correct my errors and my grace can help them correct their errors, but only if we are living from the principle, the standpoint, the foundation of a grace that says I'm no different than you. And I would certainly feel the same way about that issue if I had walked in your shoes. I certainly would think the same way that you think about that thing if I had heard all the things you've heard. We have to admit this. And that's the only way we can begin loving other people as ourselves when we stop seeing ourselves as somehow special or better than they. I am actually no different than they. But there's another verse I want to take you to because this is a verse that takes what I've just said and it turns it from a principle that works for everybody into a command that really works for Christians mostly. And it's a command that very few churches uh, actually give to their people because it's a command that is so obnoxious and difficult that I don't know if I have ever taught about it, especially I've never taught this passage like we're going to talk about it today. Because this command is just too obnoxious for us to believe is actually in the Bible. But let me show it to you. It's in Romans chapter 13. Paul says, give to everyone what you owe them. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Of course, if you owe someone, you got to give it to them, right? We all know that. Uh, If you owe them taxes, pay taxes. Okay, sometimes I owe taxes. If you owe revenue, yeah, sometimes I owe people some money, and so, you know, I'm supposed to give them revenue. If respect, yeah, well, I guess some people kind of deserve respect, and so therefore, I guess I kind of owe some people respect. Honor, then honor, yeah, some people, not everybody, you know, not everybody deserves honor, but yeah, okay, Paul, I can say I'll give people honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continued debt to love one another. Before we read any farther, this concept, this idea that love is a debt we owe to each other is weird. None of us feels that way. I don't feel like I owe you love. I feel like you need to earn my love. I don't feel like I owe you honor. You need to earn honor. I don't owe you respect. You need to earn respect. That's the way I live my life. That's the way I feel in my life. And Paul says, listen, all the debts that exist between human beings, you can pay off. But this one, you can't. You will never pay off this debt. You have a debt to love one another. Now, how in the world, Paul, how in the world do we have a debt towards one another, to love one another. Well, let's see what he says. Keep reading a little farther. He says, For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Okay, Paul, now I get it. I owe love to other people because God commanded it. I don't owe the other person. I owe God. 
God is the one who commanded this way of life. God is the one who wrote this law into his own doctrine. And so if I'm a follower of God, if I want to have the power of God in my life, I need to be walking in the will of God. And the will of God is for me to say that I have a debt to other people. I need to view myself as being in debt to other people because of God's law. And so, if you want to become a person of love, view yourself as being in debt to others. Now, this is still very weird to me. Because it's one thing for me to say, God, okay, you made a command and I have a responsibility to keep the command. But debt is still a weird word. Debt doesn't make me think I have a responsibility to God. Debt makes me think I owe you something. What have you done for me lately? You know, here's the big question that I don't know if we have ever really contemplated well enough. It's that I don't have a clue what you've done for me lately. There are so many things you could have done for me that I have no clue about. And as a matter of fact, there's so many things that you have done for me that you don't even know you did for me. There's so many things that we do in general as human beings because of the way God has wired this world to work where the actions of one person affect the life of another person and we very rarely see the link between the actions of this one person and the life affected by this other person. And so therefore, we can never pay that debt back. It's impossible because we don't know who to pay it back to. There's this YouTuber guy who has uh, made this thing really uh, visible in a lot of really interesting, cool, and completely random ways. And so today, I want to show you how this one particular YouTuber guy spent $1,500 and six months of his life to make a sandwich. This is only about two minutes long. Let me show it to you. You guys can roll it.
It, it's not bad. That's about it. It's not bad. Six months of my life were not bad. Yeah. Uh, that guy has done so many other things like that just to prove the point that you cannot be an individual. It's impossible. Like, so he spent $1,500, but he still didn't build the plane. He still didn't build the boat. He still didn't make the glass container that he carried things in. He still didn't do any of the things that he would have needed to do to actually put together a sandwich. All he did was he grew some vegetables, some plants. He bought a chicken. He didn't raise the chicken. He didn't even use any eggs to make his own mayonnaise. That's why the sandwich didn't taste very good because he didn't have any, he didn't have any mayonnaise on the thing. But anyway, the idea is that we, oh my goodness, we owe so much to so many people and we will never know. We will literally never know how much we owe to the other people in our lives. And so Paul is saying something that is still, I mean, it's a Christian command. God says you owe this love to other people, but it's also just a practical matter of the way God created the world to work. We owe each other at the very least, love. At the very least, we owe each other that level of respect or honor. And so this idea that we have a debt to others, I want to give you a phrase to think through. But before we do that, I want to share with you something Jesus said about this debt dynamic. And this is where it gets really, really awkward. Because what Jesus says here is not merely good advice. What Jesus says here is something that can only apply to a person with a relationship with God. It says this. Jesus says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. You've heard this phrase before. If someone hits you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. That is not a way of you being snide and saying, oh yeah, you're going to hit me over here? Why don't you hit over here too? It's not like that. What he's saying is, if someone wants to take something from you, give them double. Keep going. He says, if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Keep going. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that and if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. He is kind to the ungrateful and and wicked. He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. When we read passages like that, there's a justifiable fear that someone is going to take advantage of us if we start trying to live it out. If someone asks for my 
cloak and I give them my shirt too? Are they going to stop asking at that point in time? If I give in to a person when they hit me on one cheek and I just give in to them and allow them to hit me on the other cheek, aren't they just going to continue to take advantage of me? You see, if I keep giving the other people what I have and expect nothing in return, aren't they just going to keep taking advantage of me? The answer to that is, of course, yes, but also no. Because, see, love would never consider that someone taking advantage of you. Love would consider it you taking advantage of an opportunity to do something for them because you owe them. See, if I have the mindset that I've got my stuff and you've got your stuff, and if you take my stuff, you are taking advantage of me, if I have that mindset, then I can never love you. We can only be moderately equal. I can never truly love you, and I will never view myself as owing you anything. But if instead I take the measure, I take the mindset that I always owe you, that I always owe love to the people around me, then there is nothing you can take from me that will ever totally satisfy that debt. If the debt that I have to love other people is a continuing debt, as Paul said, then Jesus is right. No matter what they take from me, no matter what they take from me, I still will owe them. I will always owe them, no matter what they take. Now, If you're not a Christian, you don't have to follow these commands. That's okay. You can just go ahead and follow the golden rule kind of thing, and you can just take the approach that, okay, I owe people a moderate amount of respect and honor and love, but if you're a Christian, you are the kind of person who says, yes, Jesus, I'm going to do what you say. And what Jesus says is you are going to be the kind of person who says in your own heart and in your mind, doesn't matter what they take from me, I will never, ever, ever pay back the debt that I owe to them. And you're like, but I don't owe them anything. And I'm like, yes, you do. Why? Because God commanded it and because you don't have a clue how the relationship between you and these other, pre- these other people is designed by God to work. You just got to be a person who trusts God that when he says, keep giving, he means it. When he says, great will be your reward in heaven, he means it. And when he says that on this earth, you will constantly and always owe other people love. He means it. And so I need to be a person who views myself as being in debt to other people, and I need to have this mindset that says, no matter what they take from me, I will never pay it back. No matter what they take from me, I will always owe them. Now, I know some of you hear that, and you're like, man, that just... That just feels like I'm going to be one of those pushovers. That just feels like I'm going to be the person who, who rolls over and always gets, gets the, the short end of the stick. I'm going to be the person who's always sacrificing and never receiving. I'm going to be the person who's always going to be manipulated and taken advantage of. And my answer to you is that's who Jesus is. He just is the sacrifice. So here's the third thing. As we want to become people of love, you need to view yourself as a sacrifice for those other people. I'm going to be blunt with you. When they hit you on your face, that is a sin. 
When they hit you on the other cheek, that's also a sin. When they steal from you, that's a sin. When they take something else from you, that's also a sin. When they mistreat you, that's a sin. When they say bad things about you, that's a sin. All the things the other people are doing to be antagonistic towards you, those things are all sinful. And guess what your job is? To be Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He sacrifices himself to take the sin of the world on him. It just so happens that when he died on the cross, he got a lot more sin on him than you will ever have thrown on you. But that doesn't change the fact that you and I are those people who are walking in Jesus' shoes. It doesn't change the fact that we are people who are intrinsically, because of our Lord and Savior, we are intrinsically sacrificial people. We are intrinsically people who walk this world saying to the world, let your sin fall on me. Because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Take a look at what John says in 1 John. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, I'll be specific. When John says this, he is talking about brothers and sisters in the faith. He's talking about your relationships with other Christians. He's saying primarily you need to be very sacrificial in your relationships with other people who are in the family of God, brothers and sisters in the faith. But that's just this context. You need to remember that when Jesus laid down his life for us, we were not yet in his family. When he sacrificed his life, there was no such thing as brothers and sisters in the faith. When he sacrificed his life, it was all in hope and anticipation that you and I would join the family. In other words, the sacrifice, even though it really has to apply to our brothers and sisters in the faith, it began without the brothers and sisters in the faith. And so my attitude of sacrifice needs to be there whether I'm dealing with a person who is a Christian or a person who's not a Christian. My attitude of sacrifice shouldn't change. I am a sacrificial person, because I follow in the footsteps of the greatest sacrifice whoever was, my Savior Jesus. And so this is what John is saying. He says, because Jesus was a sacrifice, you also need to view yourself as a sacrifice. Let's read the next passage I want to show you from John, though, is from chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, and this is brilliant. This is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. (laughs) You notice John here is just simply saying exactly the same thing Jesus said. What is the greatest commandment? Love God, love your neighbor. What is John saying? The command, the only single command is this two things. Believe in Jesus and love your neighbor. Because since God sent his son Jesus because of how much God loves us, believing in Jesus is showing your love to the father who sent his son. So believe in Jesus and still love one another. Let's keep going. There's another part of 1 John that I think really takes this to the next level. And this is from chapter 4. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Pause there for just a bit. Do you realize that if you claim to be a Christian but are not a person characterized by love, 
even for the people who disagree with you. You don't know God. Not my words, John's words. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, but whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Keep going. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He says, dear friends, God so loved us. We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Here's the point. You cannot be a follower of God unless you are also a person who's growing in love, a person who is demonstrating a character of love. You've got God in the center, but his work in the center of your life must produce the version of you that is the loving version of you, or else that thing in the middle isn't really there. It's just you pretending that you've done something to get God in the middle of your life. The people who have God in the middle of their life are the people who walk in love. Here's the phrase I want you to have in your mind. By my sacrifice, these other people, they will know Jesus. They might not put their faith in Jesus. They might not come to believe in Jesus, but they will know Jesus because they have seen the sacrifice of your life in their eyes. By my sacrifice, they will know Jesus. And if one of these days they learn that the reason I made my sacrifice is because of Jesus, then maybe they will be more motivated to follow him themselves. But even if they never follow him, they will at least for that moment know who he is. Jesus is the one who sacrifices. But take it a step farther. By my sacrifice, I will know Jesus. Because when I walk through the process of sacrifice, I am stepping into the shoes of the Jesus who is a sacrifice. If you've ever wanted to be closer to Jesus, <laughs> just walk in sacrifice. Just walk in love. And you begin to get a little bit closer. But I know a lot of this stuff is kind of a little bit heavy because it sounds like it's commands and it's stuff that I have to, have to do in my life. But I, I just want to reassure you that when you think through these things, they will change the way you view other people. There's just one other little piece. And that other little piece is that I think our problem with love has to do with a lack in our own hearts. Let me show you this from John. We just saw it. I'm going to show it to you again. He says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Here's the thing that I think is really going on. We have a hard time being loving to others because we haven't actually received God's love for us. We feel like our relationship with God is all based on what have you done for me lately? So we need to impress God. God, I need to prove to you that I love you somehow. And so God is viewing us as a what have you done for me lately. And so then we view the people around us in a what have you done for me lately kind of mindset too. But see, here's the other reason why we owe everybody else a debt of love. God poured so much love out onto your life and onto my life 
that there's no possible way for your single life to hold it. God intentionally poured His love out. The death of His Son, the death of the infinite, divine Son of God, who was there at creation, by whose word all things were made. The infinite Son of God died on a cross, suffered out of love for you. You can't pay that back ever, ever, ever. Not only that, it's all been dumped on you, and so you've got so much. You can never pay it back, and you've got way more than you need. And so all this extra love that God has dumped on you is flowing out, and it must flow out, and therefore you owe it to all the other people who have not yet received it themselves. I would say it to you this way. You need to receive God's love for you and in you. You need to receive it so much that when you walk around each day and you see a person doing the thing that irritates you, you need to feel it so much that when you are on your Facebook or your Twitter or whatever else it is that infuriates you so much, that your primary attitude is, I am so loved, I am so loved, I am so loved. Oh, if only these other people could know how much God loves them, maybe I'll just love them until they realize how much God loves them. I am so loved. It doesn't mean you have to support every silly thing that someone says. It doesn't mean you have to stay in an abusive relationship just because you're trying to love that person. What it means is you are going to be a person who feels God's love so much in you, knows God's love so much in you, that you spill it out on everyone around you. That's just what it is. And our problem is that we think we're going to run out. Our problem is that we don't feel the love for the other people. What we feel is anger, animosity, antagonism. And so I want to ask you to put this thought in your mind. I don't need to feel love to show love because I have love. I don't need to feel love to show love because I have love. God has already given me all the love that a human being could possibly ever have. And then some. Listen, the problem that we have in our world feels like it's a problem between me and other people. But in truth, it's a problem with me and God. And once I get my heart right with God and recognize that His power is the power that I need in my life, I then need to give Him the space in my life to do the work that He wants to do. And the work He wants to do is to transform me into the better version of me that is characterized by love. And the better version of me that's characterized by love is a person that I never thought I wanted to be. A sacrificial, giving person who views other people more important than myself, who lifts other people up, who views myself as someone who owes them. I never wanted to be that person. But I'll tell you the truth. When you are that person, daily, increasingly, you become more like Jesus. The people around you see you more like Jesus. And as a result, as God would say, great is your reward in heaven. I'll finish with this. What version of me will I be? The me who sees people as an obstacle or the me who sees people how God does as a treasure worth dying for? I encourage you to be the me, the version of you who sees other people as a treasure the way God does. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you Live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. 
and his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.